thank you for your grace and thank you for the privilege of being able to be with the saints and to be able to uh, go through the deep things of your word and we're so thankful for that in your son's name we pray amen, amen. so it was i almost had to uh crawl up here after dan's uh communication messages because i mean you think about praise and thanksgiving and you ask yourself how how often are we doing it i don't know about you but I come to have to peer over this uh, podium here, because <laughs> as Dan talked, I guess kept shrinking, <laughs> getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I mean, but it is, I mean, it, it is true. I mean, you just think about the, again, having that factual knowledge, and we all have it, but in real time, what do we do with it? You know, do we look for the opportunities to be able to put to practice what we know? And, uh, and, and I just could just, as he's sitting there and he's talking, I'm just thinking about numerous opportunities I've had to be able to be thankful and to be able to praise uh, the Father in a lot of different instances. And, uh, and we don't always have an appreciation for it. And, and so the world system, and, uh, it really affects you a lot and how you see a lot of these things. Uh, but there's uh, always the opportunity, as long as we're in these bodies, to be able to do that. Uh, it's interesting, we were talking about the different um, types of knowledge, and I gave you a chart, and again, I, I don't really like that chart because of the gnarly writing at the top, and I've not been able to redo it yet. But it did, does give you, hopefully, an, an idea of what happens with the... Uh, <laughs> I knew Lynn would appreciate that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> So we were talking about epigonosco, and then the fact that here you have the believer is at this uh, point as he's maturing, he or she is maturing, that there is a continuum of what's going on in the understanding, and that understanding increasing, and then it increases to epigonosco. We were looking at some of that last week, and uh, there was just a few other verses that I did want to look at where you see that in activity um, in uh, we saw Ephesians one seventeen, but I wanted to go over to uh, Philippians one nine, uh, where it's used of a full experiential knowledge of um, and how it affects the believer's ability to direct agape love, and Ephesians and Philippians one nine. So Paul is uh, talking to the Philippians here, and it's just some amazing things that he says here in the first chapter. Uh, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you uh, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we talked about this, I think it was yesterday, you know, the confidence, uh, maybe it was Wednesday, the confidence that you can have with other believers that God's going to get them to where they need to be. You know, that's a huge thing. <laughs> and we were talking about that with regard to the Corinthians, what he said about them in chapter 1. God's going to get them to where they need to be. I think this is why it's a huge thing to know who you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with a believer or an unbeliever. It's just a huge thing, and most believers think this is funny. I don't think it's funny at all. I think it's a real serious thing to know who you're dealing with. And, you know, you might not always know, but it's interesting what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if a person is named as a believer, and he uses that word nomos, he has a reputation for being a believer. Well, hey, God is the one that really knows. I don't know. Maybe they're a tear. They have a reputation for being a believer. Then I'm going to uh, work with them accordingly. 
But, you know, when you understand that and you see that someone's a believer, maybe they not, you and I may not be where we need to be, but God's going to get us there one way or the other. And there's a confidence that the believe, Paul has here with regard to these Philippians. God's going to get the believer to where they need to be. He really is. One way or the other. For some believers, it might be that he might have to love them to death. But hey, he's going to get them to where they need to be. One way or the other. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has, had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record of how greatly I longed after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and this I pray that your love may abound, um, yet more and more, and notice in, in knowledge, we say by a full experiential knowledge and all uh, perception. And so I, I would take that, that the instrument that is causing this abundance or this love to abound is this full experiential knowledge and um, the ability to really be able to perceive what's going on in various situations. And so... And I just think that this is something that you, you can't just tell. This is where I have really, you could really see, you can't tell somebody, do this. You do this. You do this. You know what? People are going to respond and react out of who they are, whether they're growing or maturing. And I go back to that sign where Lewis Berry Chaffer says, grace makes all service to God voluntary. You know, when you start coming up with edicts and things of this nature, um, I'm sure people will do it and they will do it out of uh, tradition or whatever mechanism that they're doing it out of. But as the Holy Spirit is the one that's generating it, I mean, it's not something that you're having to bite your teeth to do. It's something that you're doing it in the right, uh, out of the right motivation, in the right manner. And I, th- I think here you see that when a believer really understands and they really see what's going on, that you don't have to beg them to do these things. They do it out of who they are. A mature, I always like to say, a dog barks because it's a dog. A cat meows because it's a cat. A a mature believer will actually direct agape love as they're able to see the opportunity to do that because it's where they are. And it's not something you can just continue to say, do this, do this, do this. Really, you can show people how to do it, how to get there. But, you know, they're going to get there as the Holy Spirit gets them there and the opportunity that they put themselves in a position to be there. So uh, another place, Philemon. This is one of those um, rarely used books that people will go to. But it's a it's a really wonderful book. Uh, And there's just some wonderful things that are said here in Philemon. And notice this guy, Philemon, and the things that Paul says about him. (laughs) Verse 1, we'll start with verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philemon, the only chapter that there is. (laughs) Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Appiah and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers or in my worship. You, know, you see this a lot. Paul says this a lot, right, about a lot of saints. So here he is. He's worshiping. Oh, Philemon. Father, I thank you for this guy. How many of us, you know, kind of think about that as you in your worship and you think about other saints, the opportunity to give thanks for other, other saints and how God is using them in, within the body. That's a huge thing, right? The appreciation that you can see of, of God giving that person in the body and what they mean to the body and what they're doing and the benefit that they bring to the body. And you see, Paul, Paul mentions that a lot. And notice he says, verse five, hearing of thy love and faith. Here you can see that uh, there's, uh, Philemon is um, at least that had directed some uh, that he had shown or evidence that he was spiritual. Because you see two fruits of the spirit that are mentioned here which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And so here you see this um, faith and love. And remember, we talked about this on Sunday um, a couple of weeks ago. And where is this love said that it's being directed? Toward the unsaved world? Huh? Toward all the saints toward the saints. And so, and that makes a huge difference. And so here you see this, um, I think it's, the word is translated here for epigonosco in, in uh, verse 6 is um, uh, acknowledging, it's by acknowledging, it's actually you could translate it by full experiential knowledge of every good thing. And notice the understanding. He not just had that understanding, but he had an exacting understanding of these uh, things, these agathos uh, agathos uh, things that uh, gave rise to this directing of faith and and such that you see there. And it's just uh, kind of interesting to see it. And so you have Oida and uh, the believers in the game. I mean, it's knowledge that you're gaining factual knowledge, and, and obviously you have to have that. Um, but there's, there comes a time where, um, as you allow the Holy Spirit to be involved, that you can put that factual knowledge into practice. And so as you put it into practice, you uh, gain more understanding, and that understanding continues to increase and increase and increase. And you can see that there's a maturation process that goes on. The next thing we wanted to look at was that maturity is an essential thing to a believer. And so we'd like to talk about the fact of baby Huey and uh, you know we saw that everybody saw that growing up right the big uh, duck was it a duck I can't remember uh, what it was yeah, I think so. yeah. and the thing that struck me though as a kid growing up was that it was running around with this diaper on <laughs> yeah. so and that was the thing that you saw and it just looked unusual even as a kid you thought this is unusual um, that you have this big duck running around and it's huge and it's got this diaper on. Well, it didn't look like a baby. <laughs> I know that they, <laughs> they called it baby Huey, but I thought that was like an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Like an oversized baby that looked like an adult but was talking like a baby. <laughs> and so that was the problem. And so, I mean, we, so you look at that and you can see that on a human level. I mean, we see a lot of people that are adults that act like kids that haven't grown up, right? 
or act like babies. And on the extreme level, you see adults that actually talk like kids. And, you know, you know that there is something that has gone wrong. And so in Hebrews, this Paul was exhorting the, uh, the Jewish believers in chapter 6 <laughs> that they needed to go on. And they, they had uh, become discouraged because of the persecution that they were suffering. And they wanted to go back under law, and they couldn't do that. And so the whole thing that uh, in the book of Hebrews, that I believe the Apostle Paul wrote, a lot of people might disagree. But as J. Vernon McGee used to say, if you want to be on the right side of it, you might want to agree with me. <laughs> no, Paul, I do believe Paul, there's enough evidence to say that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews uh, from the style to a lot of other things that you could point to. But notice what he says here. We're going to start in six and then we'll go back into chapter five to reference why he says what he says to them. He says in verse one, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of, and I would say the Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so this word for let us go on to is um, actually a, the word that we wanted to zero in on is this word phareo um, is a form of it. And the idea, and I, I give it this definition, to be carried along to a, a destination, uh, to be carried along, um, I translated to be born along um, uh, to a particular destination. And it's what is called, uh, I learned it this way, some people call it differently, I think there's another term for it, it's a horitory subjunctive, right? So Paul is telling the Hebrew believers, the Jewish believers, hey, come on and join me. This is the way to go. Let's go this way. Don't, don't do this, let's go this way. Now some, some people uh, believe the reason he used that particular language is because he's going back and he's talking to these same believers that had seen him act out of law. And now he's having to go back to these same believers and say, no, this is not the way. It's this way. This is the way to go, right? And so he's saying, let us be born on, let us be carried on to. And so that word's used a lot in the New Testament. It's, it's used of carrying things or something being um, born along. But here it's used, I believe, here is a passive. And why do I say that? Because you're not doing it. Someone is doing it to you. You have to allow, and I think in this situation, for the Holy Spirit to bear you along or to carry you along. Uh, to a certain de destination, and what you're going to see that destination is, is maturity. And so notice, he goes back, and, and um, you see that word born. Well, I'll give you a couple of definitions there. We, we, won't, we won't go there. Uh, and it's, We're on page nine. Page nine. <laughs> now, why, did he, why does he say this? So go back, if you would, into chapter 5. He kind of gives you some insight into the condition of these believers. So there was a point in time where the, uh, the, the believers, these Jewish believers, were growing. 
And it's interesting because in chapter six, you have people who want to use part of that chapter to say that these people were unsaved. But if you just turn over to chapter six, I just want to show, show you something that would actually mitigate against this. Look down in verse 10. And so you could see at one point in time that you were dealing with people that were actually growing and maturing. And we could see it here and we can also see it in uh, chapter 10. That they, they, they were growing at a point in time, but I believe the persecution or, and other things that happened uh, derailed their, their uh, maturation process. Notice what he says. Um, well, we could start with verse uh, 4 and then we'll read down through 10. So that four and five is the controversial passages. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good work of God and the powers of the, and I would say here it is, the ages to come, that if they should fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, which cometh oft upon it, and brings forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receive blessing from God. But that which bears, bears thorns and bri briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But notice what he says about here in verse 10 concerning these believers, verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded of better things uh, concerning you. And of things which accompany salvation through though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget. Notice here's some believers that actually were spiritual. To forget your labor. And here's that word for kopas again. It's tireless working on behalf of saints. And what does that spring from? From love. You, know, you couldn't do that if you were unsaved. Right. Which is what a lot of the premise that a lot of people have is these are people who are unsaved or people who lost their salvation. In some of that instances, they say that and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And they were currently at, the, at that time actually ministering. And we desire every one of you to show the same diligence of the full assurance of hope uh, to the end. It's an interesting word that assurance of hope, that confidence that there is. So much confidence that you're just filled with confidence about who you are in Christ and what God is doing and where you're going. I mean, it's I think this is the same word, if I'm not mistaken, use of uh, Abraham over in Romans four. But notice in chapter 10 here as well. In verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. <clears throat> Partly while you were made a gazing stock. Now, when was the last time you heard somebody use that word? Hey, what a gazing stock you were. <laughs> we don't use that very often, do we? But it's an interesting word. And I, I mean, you just, and it always jumps out to me when I look at these words in which there is the indication given that believers are on a display, right? That we're in a, we're being displayed. And so there's more going on. And so a lot, you hear a lot of believers that say, well, this just doesn't make sense to me, sense to me what God is doing. Well, I mean, what do you even say about that? I mean, you, you're saying that I know the whole picture, 
And I know everything God is doing here, and it doesn't add up. And this word for theatron looks at the fact that here we, Paul says, these believers were like in a theater. They were on a stage. And things were being played out, and they were being shown forth. And God was showing forth something and what was happening with them. You know, we don't, we act like we know the whole picture all the time, don't we? Different instances come up and we act like we know everything that God is doing. And now we render judgment to God. You don't know what you're doing. Basically is what we're saying in a lot of instances. And so you see these believers here, they were being made a theatric. And uh, the things that were happening in their lives, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. And so here we see it. Um, there was a point where they were illuminated. They were able to direct joy. Um, they lost everything that they had, and they were they had joy. So these were believers at one point in time. They were spiritual. They were growing. They were being illuminated. What happened? And so, no. Notice he says, "You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance." Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has a great recompense of rewards. And here we find some insight as to what probably went wrong. For you have need of patience. Patience is something that you don't have as a, as a result of the fruit of the Spirit. We find in Romans 5, patience comes as a result of afflictions or circumstances in which you learn how to bear up under things. You learn how to bear up under there was a guy back some years ago that I knew in Oklahoma, and he gave this uh, statement. Oh, axiom, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. You ever heard that? <laughs> and for a lot of believers, you know, you get into circumstances and situations that are bad, and you, you try to find every way you can to get out of it, right? And it's funny, you get out of it, and you, it keeps coming right back around, doesn't it? It seems like it just never lets, lets us go. <laughs> And so this idea of patience is learning how to bear up under these circumstances. And so notice, after you have done the will of God, that you might receive the promise. Now, let's go back again to chapter 5. And so now you see a, a different condition of these believers where they are in a different situation. And I think that their circumstances had, had gotten the better of them, and they had become carnal. And so notice what happens here as a result of that. <coughs> They weren't maturing, and because they weren't maturing, they couldn't learn any other doctrine. They could, he couldn't teach them anything else. And so here's an out for the pastor teacher. We're not always bad teachers. Sometimes we're teaching the people that are carnal. <laughs> that makes a difference. So you might want to check yourself before you blame me. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't do a bad job. <laughs> But I'm not the only one. It's a two-way street here. <laughs> it's a two-way street. And so notice in Hebrews chapter 5, notice he says in verse uh, 10, he, could, he told them that he wanted to teach them more about Melchizedek. And some people say, well, hey, we can't learn about Melchizedek now because these believers were carnal. 
Paul was going to teach him more, but it doesn't mean that he would have actually written it. <laughs> I guess if the Holy Spirit had wanted it there, it would be here. Notice in verse six, he says, who says, who said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he was a son. Now, this is the thing that just blows your mind here. Yet learned he be obedient by the things which he suffered. It's just mind blowing. Well, we know this is in the realm of his human nature. He didn't have to learn obedience in the realm of his divine nature. But as a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. Uh, and so notice that, and I really believe here is that they became dull. Yeah, they became dull and with the result that they were still in that state. And notice he says, you, you, you became dull of hearing for when at the time you ought to be teachers. And this is an interesting thing. Remember those necessary words? He's talking about da. Uh, which is uh, necessary, a logical necess necessity. This one here is another necessary word, and it has the idea of a moral necessity. It's what's right. So you should be in a situation after what God has done for you. You should be in a situation where you ought to be in a situation where you are helping other believers, where you're teaching other believers. It's what's right. And so... And he says, when you are the time is to pass, you ought to be teachers. You need that one teach you again. The first principles uh, are really is the storke or the elements, the, the rudimentary elements of the oracles of God. Uh, and have need of milk and not strong meat for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in a word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, just as an aside here, you hear a lot, and I just kind of constantly hear people saying, I'm just a babe in Christ. Please, again, I, I really ask you, don't say that. Because <laughs> the word babe is not used positively in the New Testament in that way. It's really used negatively. So when you're saying that you're a babe, what you're saying is you are an inarticulate babbler and you cannot articulate what it is you believe. And it's not you, you shouldn't be that way because the, the, the time that you believe the facts of the gospel, you can mature and grow immediately. There's nothing stopping you. In fact, you can surpass a lot of believers that have been in, uh, in believers for a long time. There's nothing stopping you from growing. And yet you see a lot of believers, they brag about the fact that I'm a babe. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of like fingers on a chalkboard, right? <laughs> but strong meat belongs to them. That but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Or really, you could say belongs to those that are maturing. Maturing ones. 
uh, Dr. Schaefer used to say when he went to different churches, what did he preach? And it's difficult to go to churches cold turkey that, you know, and particularly churches where you know that there's not much doctrine being taught and to really, you know, what do you say? Uh, and, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit's going to give you something to say, but there's a lot that you can't say uh, because of probably this passage here. Uh, strong meat belongs to those who are maturing, who by reason of use, and really that word reason is by it's a habit. Uh, 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 they have a, habitually done this. By reason of use have exercised their senses to discern good and evil. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> this is just an amazing thing here. So there's a habitual thing going on with a person who is maturing. And as they're maturing, they've, they're uh, exercising that word, the, the reason is actually, you could say, it's the faculties of their minds. Um, I use this, you could see it used here, I would give it this definition, the ability of the mind to see and understand the information that's stated. And so they're processing this, and there's a habitual thing going on where they hear it, they're able to understand it. They're able to put this to practice. They, they can see it. Let me give you an example of it. Over in uh, Luke, the ninth chapter, in verse 45, it's used there <clears throat> as the Lord is talking to the disciples about what's going to happen uh, to him when he went into Jerusalem. And in verse of uh, 44, he says to them, let this saying sink down into your ears. For the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men. And they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them. And they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. That word perceived, they, there wasn't any, they, they weren't able to catch it. It didn't register. We would say it didn't register to them what it was. Um, and so that processing, they, they weren't able to process. What, 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 what is he saying here? And it, and it didn't catch. And so this idea of this faculties of the mind or this uh, senses, they exercising their senses um, and so that word for exercising is our word for um, gymnastics. Um, now, here I believe it's, a, it's in the passive, and notice it's a, it's a uh, perfect participle. And so I think that they have they started doing it over here, and there's a, there's a continuation of this exercising of the faculties of the mind. It's a continuum thing in which a believer is looking at information that is being told to him and they're weighing this and there's habitual exercising of this information and taking it through the mind and being able to understand what is being, what is going on here, what is being said. Yes? Would, would insight be a better word maybe for that? Insight is it's related to that, it seems like. Yeah, you could be. You could use that. That would that would be a good word to use. Insight. They they're able to see it and understand it, and then they're they're habitually putting this information to use. Um, and so uh, perception, 
Um, so a lot of people, you could talk and you could say things and they hear it, but they don't hear it. You see what I'm saying? There are people who hear things that are being said, but they don't, we don't, what would we say? They don't get it. Yeah, they're not grasping what is being said. And probably, I, I would imagine, they could tell you on one side of it what you said. <laughs> I'm sure that the disciples back there with the Lord Jesus, I mean, they obviously, I think they could have regurgitated what he said, but they did not perceive, they were not able to put it together. And, and I think it's related, in, in my, as I look at that particular instance, I think it's related to the fact that their minds well, obviously, there was certain things they weren't allowed to see. But I think a big part of it was they were so focused on the kingdom. And I, I think that, that kind of drowned, it, drowned out anything else. And they could not. Well, you see it over in Matthew, the 16th chapter, right? When the Lord tells Peter, I'm going to die, be buried and, and, and be raised. And what did Peter say? Be it far from you, Lord. Right. Uh-oh. See, so I think that the kingdom in that instance drowned out what they were able to grasp. Because they were so set on that, that there was certain information I think that they just could not get, would not allow to be able to perceive or to, to uh, understand it. But when a person is maturing, it seems that all of that other information, uh, these hindrances that to that information has been let go of. And the believer is able through the Holy Spirit to be able to grasp and to not only grasp it, and I think here I believe it's a passive voice because I think that the Holy Spirit's the one that's doing this and allowing the believer to exercise this uh, information uh, and um, toss it around in an habitual way. And notice the result is a person that's maturing, you can see that they're able to make distinctions. They're able to make distinctions. Now this just seems like a small thing, but how many times do you encounter a lot of believers they're not able to distinguish one thing from the other. And it's just general, generalization, right? And you ask somebody, well, what's the gospel? A whole Bible, right? And when you start talking to them about saying, no, this is in the gospels, and God was doing this at this time, and oh boy, here we go. When you say, no, no, that scripture's not for this time, you see a lot of people who are not growing, they become infuriated because they, like little kids, want to take everything and generalize it for one people at one time. And they have a hard time grasping uh, because of their preconceived notions for their carnality and and a lot of other things. They have a hard time letting go of it. And so he says who having exercised the faculties of their minds to discern, um, and that word for discern is interesting, it's, it's diacrino, it's, it's to judge through. You're, it's, uh, you're judging through something. Now, let me give you an example of that word, and it's used over in 1 Corinthians 12.10. There's a lot of judgment of crema uh, words <laughs> in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, just a lot of them in different forms, different compound forms. Uh, it's just an amazing thing when you look through the First uh, and Second Corinthians, the amount of uh, uh, judgment words that you find there. And so in the 12th chapter, in verse 10 of First uh, Corinthians, you see this. Um, 
it's use of the discerning of spirits, a discerning of, of spirits. And notice he says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, a discerning of spirits. And so able to judge through or to weigh this spirit versus that, right? Whether or not, and that's not a gift that is in existence today. Um, but during that time, there was someone who had that gift and they was able to weigh and to discern one spirit from the other. <clears throat> and so you see it that way. So discern what good. It's interesting because you have these two w- words uh, that, is, that are used. You see it used in Second Corinthians, uh, good and evil. Um, and so you see it here in Hebrews 5. And here it's agathos and uh, kakos, uh, or excuse me, kalos and kakos. And so kalos, they're able to discern what is good. And I believe kalos is, as you see it used, is that which is beautiful and beneficial and how it appears on the outside. If you study this word, it's really interesting. You see it used with a lot of sight words, something that you see from the outside. Now, let me give you an illustration of it. Look at Matthew, the fifth chapter in verse 16. One of the best places to see it. Matthew 5, 16. Notice in 5, 16, let your light so, uh, so shine before men. And let me give a premise here that he's talking to the nation of Israel here in this context. Let your light so shine before men. Notice what he says here, that they might see. Your good works and the word good there is actually it's the word kalos. So you have kalos and agathos. Kalos is a work that can be seen on the outside and that as you see it in activity, it has a beauty about it. Agathos is is another word that's used. And I believe that that deals with the origin of that work. Right. The motivation for it. And it starts on the inside. And when you see it on the outside, it just has, it's beautiful in how it's in appearance and how it's seen. And so he says uh, <clears throat> that they might see your good works. And the word for see is actually, I like this word. It's a word, orao, right? And so orao has this ideal that you're gazing with, at something with mental discernment of thought. And you're watching it. It's almost like you're watching a picture and as you, I like to watch my wife as she people watches when we go on trips in the airport. That's her favorite thing to do is to people watch. And I watch her as she's watching other people. (laughs) And she's just gazing, watching what they do, how they pick up their luggage what they do to their kids. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I'm sure it's somebody. But you have this idea of watching. And, and, this, and so good works, I believe you see it as you, if you do a word study on that, you'll see it used with a lot of sight words. Something that you can see from the outside, that these things are observable. And so here you have this one who's able to do that, that is maturing, that uh, it, it, because of this strong meat belongs to those who, through the uh, habitual use, uh, having exercised their faculties of their minds to discern 
um, both good, what's, what's beneficial, what's beautiful on the outside, and then the opposite of that, I believe, is kakas, which is what's lacking in character. Now, I think, so you're watching an individual, and that individual can do something that's beautiful as it's being motivated by the Holy Spirit, and then you can see other things that they're doing that is absolutely lacking in character. And you can see a lot of believers who have no discernment about these things at all. And, and it's just like your kid. I mean, your little kids, when you have little kids, they don't have a lot of discernment, right? They don't know what's harmful to them. I heard somebody saying today with a lot of what you see going on in the world is that the, the, the adults are teaching kids to be fearful. To be what? Fearful of everything and teaching kids bad things that really are not good for kids. And so kids don't know a lot of this stuff. They're being taught to be this way. And so you see it with the, uh, with the, from a spiritual point of view, uh, this idea of what's lacking in character of, of what's expected. And I think Kakos is more individual. A good place that you would see that, I think, is in First um, Timothy 6.10, um, that the love of money is the root of all evil, and it uses kakos there. I believe it's more singular evil. I don't think it, it's related to ponderous evil, but uh, uh, that's what I would see from having studied it, studied it. And so maturity, you have this issue of maturity, and it's an habitual use. Now notice the Jewish believers of Hebrews were not maturing, but they had become babes. And what, what were babes? They would just da-da-da-da, ma-ma-ma-ma. And, you, you know, you see this a lot, right? Sadly, in the church today, you see this quite often uh, with a lot of believers. They don't really know what they believe. And in default position, they do things that probably they shouldn't be doing that brings the church a bad name. I was talking to someone today, and they were talking about this issue of uh, um, homosexuality and how the church relates to that. And, you know, I was just relating to them that really the church is not supposed to judge the world, really. But what does the world do? I mean, you can get someone who really doesn't understand what Scripture says about these matters, and they're out confronting people and pointing fingers in, in people's faces and and this kind of thing, and it really ends up being not what God has asked the believer to do, but they do it out of who they are. Um, so babes are carried about and born to and fro and carried about by every... When you see this word for babe, it's again, in particular the Bible, another place to see it is Ephesians 4.14. Ephesians 4.14. Ephesians 4.14. Now, in Ephesians, uh, so here we have in verse 12, it's interesting, and we've adopted this as, uh, as our uh, quote-unquote motto for this local church, that the, the church is for the perfecting of the saints. Well, it's really he's talking about these um, spiritual gifts and what they were, these early spiritual gifts and what they were given for, and it was for the adjustment of the saints. And, you know, at I get an opportunity to do it since I'm here. Notice he doesn't say the adjusting of the entire world. It's for the adjusting of the saints. For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
till we come into a unity of the faith and then uh, knowledge. Really, it's a full experiential knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man. The perfect is a mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children. And so there's a word there in verse 14 that we be no more infants or napias. And what happens to them? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Unfortunately, and I think um, Dan dealt with it um, last hour, that you do have a lot of things going on in the pulpit. And you can just see believers who are not growing. They're, there's, they're lacking in discernment and they're not able to discern the things that they're hearing. And they're following things that have that are not really good for them. And it's really the extreme of it, of course, uh, would be some of these cults and isms and such. And, uh, and so it's, it's really bad. And so these false teachers and notice the spiritual instability that they cause through a sleight of hand, which is this intentional fraud. They intentionally defraud people. Peter says that they use plastic words, words that they fabricate and make up, and in false teachers, they use this cleverness and trickiness. And the whole intent of it is to deceive. Uh, to deceive. And so spiritual maturity was not possible under law. And so let's look at Hebrews, the seventh chapter in verse 11. We talked about this a little bit in the introduction in the first part. And we won't belabor the point, but just a couple of verses we want to point out here. In verse 11, notice what Paul says to these believers who were wanting to maintain this um, presence under law. Uh, If you read through the book of Hebrews and you walk away from this book and you still think that you're under law, I would probably say that you're probably not being illuminated (laughs) or maybe you're unsaved. I don't know how you could. I mean, the whole title or the, the theme of this book is that we have something better. We have something better than they did under law. And so notice you see it here, verse 11. If therefore perfection or maturity were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? And so we have a high priest that's um, not under the Aaronic priesthood. And if the ironic priesthood brought about maturity, why the need for another one? Notice he goes on to say, um, well, we can just read on down to verse 19 is where I wanted to go. For the, the priesthood being changed, there is made uh, a necessity of a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And, it, and it, um, it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he that testifies, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going um, before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof, For the law made nothing perfect. And so the law made not one thing 
or not one person mature. And that's a pretty sweeping statement. <laughs> it's pretty sweeping. So now we can think of all of those who were under law, right? David, right? Moses. I mean, and all of those are going to be included in that. And so what do you say to a lot of people? And I've, over the years, you have people who make statements and they want to be like these Old Testament saints. There was a guy who told me at FedEx some years ago when I worked in Portland that David danced before the Lord. So it's right that believers dance before the Lord. How about that? He didn't see me dance. <laughs> I said Dan danced before the Lord. But I mean, you have all. So we're going to look at this and we'll stop here, but we'll see as we move forward. Not one of these Old Testament saints had the capacity to mature like you and I can today. And uh, that's to a lot of believers that is hard to fathom. They cannot believe. So they would say, well, how could that be possible? How could God do that? You mean to tell me, David, whom God called a man after his own heart, that this guy could not mature? I can mature more than David could? And what they don't understand that I believe that they leave out is that it's not about you and me. It's not that we're better. It's what God is doing is better. It's not that you're better than David. It's not that I'm better than David. It's not that David is better than we are. It's what God is doing is better. And that makes a huge difference when you understand it.